and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation as usual as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks. I am really excited about this show today. We are going to be talking with Stephanie Shaw, who is a health and wellness speaker and educator. And we're going to be talking about can menopause complicate a dementia diagnosis? And why this is near and dear to my heart is because it happened to my own mother for 10 years. And so I can't wait to introduce you to her, but I'm just going to do a couple of shout outs and say, please like, click and share Alzheimer's Speaks and Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. It can really be a powerful way to help disseminate information to others, which is what we are all about. Um, you can also go to our site, alzheimerspeaks.com. Check out all of the free educational resources that we have. And I did say free, not a nickel, and you're not going to have to give us any information to access them either. You can also review our book, Betty the Bald Chicken Lessons in How to Care, which is a great children's book, but is good for any age or stage of life. So let's not wait any longer. I want to, I want to introduce you to Stephanie. Well, Stephanie, I am so excited. We're finally, finally doing this show. We've been talking for a while. And, you know, as I mentioned in the introduction, everybody, this is a topic that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But Stephanie, why don't you go ahead and, and tell people a little bit about yourself and, you know, um, and then we'll we'll get on with our conversation. Sure. First of all, thank you so much for having me here today. Um, my Again, as you said, my name is Stephanie Shaw. I'm the host of a podcast called Hello Hot Flash. And I work with women who are just attempting to navigate midlife at the highest level possible. So some people need to sleep better at night. Some people need just a little more confidence or whatever that looks like. So my role is to support those women, um, mom, grandma, wife, um, I'm in the sandwich generation, like I know a lot of folks are too. So that's just a little bit about me. Okay, wonderful. The other thing I always ask every guest of mine is, have you been personally touched in your own family or circle of friends by any form of dementia or Alzheimer's disease? Actually, I have. So I had an uncle who had dementia and we have a family member now that we are, some of the signs and symptoms are starting to appear, but we just have to figure out how to have that conversation so that we can get a diagnosis. That's a tough conversation because even people within the family aren't always on the same page, let alone yeah. the person who's showing the symptoms and stuff. Um, I did do, and this might be helpful for your family, but I did do a couple of interviews with my dementia chats groups, which are all experts because they're all living with the disease. And they talk about denial of the person diagnosed and, um, you know, how do you, how do you approach that? What do you do? Yeah. Um, so, and, and how do you get them to accept that a little bit easier? And that's just on the website under our free educational resources there. Um, let's start out with having you explain kind of the connection that can happen um, or the disconnect also that can happen between menopause and dementia and all these hormonal changes that, that we uh, have going on in our bodies as women. I know. So I'll give my non-medical uh, information. I always uh, give the disclaimer that I am not a doctor, but um, I do take a lot of time, a lot of hours studying specifically estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone and have found that um, studies such as the recent study done, done by Cornell Medical just this fall um, echoed the fact that a decrease in estrogen, an imbalance in our estrogen levels um, can cause, well, because of that, you have brain fog and memory loss and so forth. And that can cause dementia long-term for 
for patients. So they're still in the process of researching, but they've looked at 6 million women. So it's not one of those, you know, 50 people were researched and this is the results that we have. The findings suggest that women, um, uh, what they're doing is having women take hormone therapy. So using estrogen is the hormone therapy. And it, the findings suggest that women who took the hormones in midlife to treat their menopause symptoms were less likely to develop dementia than those who had not taken estrogen. So they're starting to link those two things together and how, again, that decrease in estrogen levels can um, exacerbate the memory loss. Um, also, um, there's research around the fact that um, the, the risk is higher for women as we age than men because, again, it ties back to our estrogen levels, which we know are essentially uh, um, a big part of why we go through the different perimenopausal symptoms as well. You know, my own mom was misdiagnosed for 10 years. Um, when she knew she was having symptoms that were greater than just menopause. And, you know, this was a long time ago. She's been gone. She, you know, she lived with it for 30 years and she's been gone 10 now. And it was a doctor of theirs from 40, you know, for 40 years that they had, and they had great, great trust in this doctor, but he, you know, no one really even mentioned the word dementia um, back then, and there there wasn't the knowledge there is today, which I don't think is enough in the medical field still. Yeah. Um, but he yeah. just kept saying it's menopause, it's menopause, it's menopause, and you know she she really struggled for those ten years because she just never felt it was a a good fit. So I think this is just such an important conversation for people to have and um, figuring out you know, what's going on with your body? Because we hear people with dementia say, you know, I didn't think I'd like getting this diagnosis, but at least now I know what it is or better yet that it's not. And it is maybe hormones and there's treatments um, out there because it could be, you know, dehydrated or a lack of vitamin deficiency or medication mix up that can mimic these things too. But I don't think people are hearing that at the doctor's office all the time. And, and we need to, we need to educate ourselves sometimes. What are some Mm -hmm. of the, the misconceptions that you find between, you know, menopause and and dementia symptoms? Yeah. So um, the one biggest one being that there is no connect and we're finding again, that that's not true. Um, And because of the connection with the estrogen levels, um, we're finding that again, there is this connection, direct or indirect. Um, so a lot of people just are like, oh, you know, I have dementia or I have menopause or I'm in perimenopause and not bringing those two things together. It's our, our we need to understand that everything that we're doing um, as it relates to our hormones is impacting us in some way or another. There's links between perimenopause and cancer and heart disease and osteoporosis so that link between uh, dementia also is is a tie that we need to to be aware of. Yeah, and I would imagine like with dementia, some people have more than one type of dementia. They might have Alzheimer's disease or they might have Lewy body and Parkinson's and some people have three different types. I would imagine, you know, there's different symptoms within the menopause umbrella, like you mentioned, you know, perimenopausal and all of those types of things. And and it seems to me like, you know, every individual body reacts a little bit differently. Is that what you find as well with, with menopause? Yeah, that's so true because for me, I had almost 40 symptoms. I had from the phantom smells to the t- twitching in my eyes, my hair, the hair loss and so forth, while other people have night sweats or they just have hot flashes. So it does vary. And again, it, I, it all goes back to what is going on in, on the inside of our bodies, how our hormones are handling it, and also how we're starting to treat ourselves, how we're nourishing our bodies, how we're taking care of our mental and our physical health as well. That, uh, I believe plays a huge role in the symptoms that we get during menopause. For myself, I specifically was, I ate pretty well, but I was not eating right for my body. I was not moving my body um, the way that I should. And um, I had surgery induced menopause on top of everything else. So that, yes, you're, you're 
your question to your to the point of your question, it is very different for every single person. I've talked to I was uh, messaging some woman um, yesterday and she said, oh, I've only had hot flashes once or twice. Like my mom hasn't had hot flashes. I'm like, how do you people get away with this stuff? <laughs> so, so it's very individualized. And just like with everything else, um, though treatments help, there is also some things that we may need to do specifically for our body. So in my case, uh, I did all the Western medicine and I'd start doing some Eastern medicine. Um, there were foods that were causing me foods that were quote unquote good for you, peaches, certain types of apples, certain beans, um, cabbage. There were certain things that were actually causing my body to make my uh, hot flashes and to make me not sleep as well at night. So it, it was like bringing those things to the surface. So everyone is an individual. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. I had never heard about the phantom smell with, um, yeah. with menopause because there are, you know, that can be a symptom of dementia where people smell things and they say, typically it's like burnt rubber is what they yeah. smell. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the other thing I found, like my mom had severe hot flashes. I mean, hmm. 30 below weather, shorts, tank top, and she's beat red, sweating, sitting on the stoop outside going, oh my gosh, it's hot out here. You know, I, <laughs> oh, I have an aunt like that. <laughs> I, I remember praying, please, please, please don't give me that. Don't give me that. You know? <laughs> we all felt so sorry for it. And then we kind of giggled about it because it was just so, how can you sit out literally in the middle of a blizzard like that and be, can your body be that hot and on fire and stuff? And, um, you know, for me with the, the night sweats, what I found, and I don't know if this is common. I don't know if it's, um, pertain to to menopause. I'm I'm past that. I'm 64 now, but um, I found when I would eat late at night, I figured out my body was working hard to digest the food, and and yeah. when I stopped doing that, I didn't have these these horrendous night sweats. And it was like, well, why did nobody ever tell me that? That was like <laughs> a super simple fix. But um, is that is that common, or is that part of? just my normal body? Or would you say that would be, you know, a, a hormonal thing? That, so that's really common. Um, eating, drinking late at night, it can cause you to have problems with sleep, it can cause you to have hot flashes or night sweats during the middle of the night. That's why it's so important that um, as women, we think about what we're putting in our mouth, think about the food that we're eating, making sure that we're getting carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, and also looking at when we're eating certain food. Now, I'm so not a fan of being restrictive or telling you, you know, eat two tablespoons of XYZ, but we do need to be aware that when we eat later at night, a lot of times it does trigger um, different hormonal movement in our body. Also, so this is more of the, the Eastern medicine part, but um, our liver actually starts to detox at night as well. So if you're eating and it just it's just making your whole body work harder. So just think that your liver is working harder. All this stuff is moving around. The blood is circulating more. And now it's also trying to digest food that you you just ate. So yes, you're you're absolutely right that what happened to you is not uncommon at all. And also that sometimes it is that simple that you can change uh, uh, some of the, the menopausal symptoms that you have just by eliminating wine, not eating too late at night, drinking more water, moving your body a little bit more. Sometimes it's really easy. Some folks like me, it was a lot harder, <laughs> but a lot, a lot of folks can just make some tweaks and then they feel a lot better. Well, and for you, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, you, you were battling getting this under control for like two years. Yeah. Yeah. I went to 18 different doctors, two world-renowned medical facilities. Um, I saw physicians in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Louisiana, and Oklahoma, uh, $20,000 out of pocket because no one talked about hormones to me. So like it was okay, mine, because mine were appearing in different ways, like my hair was falling out. So I went to the dermatologist, I had twitching eyes. So I went to the ophthalmologist, my heartbeat was so rapid. So I went to the cardiologist. But it wasn't until like, I had gone to so many doctors that I had actually befriended some staff. 
have. And some of the doctors said, two folks, um, actually it was my chiropractor and my physical therapist, they actually sat down and had lunch to talk about me. And when they started like going over everything that was going on, they were able to help me move forward because of that conversation that they were having. I was, I thought I was doing a good job at going doctor to doctor and advising them of who I had been to, but it wasn't until two folks like kind of made that connection that I was able to, to get some more help. So part of the work that I do, and I always talk about is advocating for yourself as well. I have a whole different level of skill set now when it comes to advocating for myself. So that story. So if you're at the cardiologist because you're having rapid heartbeat, which is a sign, one of the menopausal signs as well as rapid heartbeat, especially after you eat certain foods. If you're at the cardiologist, that conversation should not just be about the heart, even though that's what he or she focuses on. It's, hey, I've been here. I've been here. I've been here. Is there some pattern that you're seeing and how can you help me with this pattern? Yeah, it it's hard because is as open as our medical um, communications have gotten with the computer and people can see and they can hear from you, everyone is still pretty dang siloed in their yeah. own little specialty world. And boy, sometimes it just takes an outsider to say, hey, let's look at big picture here and let's mm-hmm. just stop thinking that it's one one particular thing because even if it's this, I still have all these other symptoms out here that aren't, you're not going to be able to address. And you know that, right. and I know that. And and yet you're getting sucked down all these little silos and then you can get medications and then they cannot interact nicely with one another. And then you can come up with more symptoms and <laughs> problems. Yeah. And, and you're right. Gets, you're right. It gets yeah. hard. And it does. Um, it and really do you hard. find in terms of advocating for yourself? Cause I, I've always tried to advocate for myself, but I know when my daughter was younger and she had a male doctor and he was Mm -hmm. so disrespectful. And I'm not saying all male doctors are with women, but it was like, I mean, I I went to the director and I'm like, I want this guy fired. I mean, that's how it was abusive. um, The way he treated her verbally and dismissed what she was going through. I mean, there was just yeah. no, even if he believed that there was still another way to be able to to say what he wanted to say. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think, and, you know, I'm 64. And so I think there, there have been times too, when I've been to a doctor and I haven't felt like I've been believed, just like with people with dementia, some of them mm-hmm. get excited, many of them, when they get a diagnosis, because it's like, oh, someone believes me. Finally, I know, <laughs> I know what it yeah. is. And it's not the reaction you would think, but when you're being poo-pooed all the time or told you're crazy or you feel like you're crazy because you don't feel heard, that gets really hard. So do you like coach women then through this process and, and try to build them up, you know, for their strength? Because again, I think, I, I don't think the medical model um, here in the U.S. is a compassionate one. And not that there aren't some compassionate doctors, but the time that is needed to give compassion and to truly listen is more than 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, yes. Which is 10 or 15 minutes, which is the slot allotted. And, right. right. And, and to me, that that's, you know, we've gone backwards a little bit since that's come into place. Yeah, I totally agree. It's so government driven. Um, I went to a dermatologist um, and, you know, I'm like, I'm having some problems. I have, you know, my hair is falling out, whatever. And um, what can I do? So they offered a steroid. I'm like, I don't want a steroid. Are there alternatives that I can start? If they don't work, then maybe I'll consider medicine or what have you. I am not allowed to talk to you about that. Fine. Like they have so many restrictions on them now. And a lot of them just they're just very textbook in their conversations with you. So yes, I do support women in that field. If that that's not quote unquote what I do, and that's not the core of the program. But once we start talking, they're like, "Hey, I have a doctor's appointment or whatever." Um, I actually have like cheat sheets that you can take. You can make sure that you're journaling, taking notes on what um, what is going on, what symptoms you're having, what time of day, because a lot of times a good doctor will be able to find some pattern there and be able to support you in another way. 
Um, another thing I always advise people to do is to get a copy of your medical records because, so for myself, I'm always like looking at my white blood cell count. Um, and while it's always in the normal range, if I see a consistent tick down, even though it's normal, I want to have a conversation with you about that or, you know, whatever. If I'm seeing it's getting um, changing even though it's quote unquote normal, let's talk about it. What can I do? Can I eat differently? Can I move differently in order to make that change? And if you're not asking for those records, a lot of times your physician will only look at this year's report and give you information about this year's report. And those averages aren't necessarily averages for everyone, especially women, because a lot of the tests were done on men in order to get those average numbers. So we just have to be really careful. Go and prepare, take notes, look at your chart. I take a lot of, well, I did when I was not feeling well, a lot of supplements. So sometimes they wouldn't put them down. I'm like, if you don't put that down and let's say I do decide to take a, a script, those interfere with one another. So read your chart, look at the information and so forth. I think that's important. And to know that they're not trained to help you. So they actually have lobbyists, so they do not have to take courses in nutrition. And then gynecologists take, I, I keep quoting this wrong, so I need to actually look it up. I'm going to say three to four months or less of coursework on menopause. So if the gynecologists are not getting menopause educated, you know, the cardiologists, the ophthalmologists, all those other folks aren't having, um, getting educated on that as well. So you have to, you have to learn how to advocate for yourself. That is shocking. A gynecologist who is um, Dr. Goldman, uh, she actually was the person who I was Another thing I need to memorize too. Uh, she was the person that actually made one of the connections between menopause and cancer, and she's helped lead all of the research. She's the person that told me that she's like, she learned because her friend um, got sick and ended up passing away. So she's like, we never learned any of that in medical school. It just was not a priority. I'm like, you're a gynecologist, shouldn't you know about menopause? <laughs> yeah, that that is she's super smart. She knows everything now, but it wasn't like part of her training and it's not part of their training. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the same exactly. with dementia with the doctors too. They're, they know so little, so little. Mm -hmm. And yet it is such a big common issue for so, mm -hmm. so, so many people. I love when you talked about journaling, because I do think that that is really important because I, I know even with myself, it's like, I'll forget some of the symptoms like it, like it'll pop in my head and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll be yeah. aware of that. And then I forget about it because I didn't write it down because something else happened. And then I focus on that. And, yeah. and that can make the whole trajectory of what they're thinking is going on with you wrong. And so mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, and, and, and I think also you will have a better idea of what is happening. I mean, that's how I figured out eating late at night when I was having those night sweats. I'm like, what is going on? And then it was like, oh. I'm, I'm eating, uh, you know, maybe some nachos or something spicy. And I'm like, that's what's yeah. kicking me over the edge here. And um, I had a little snack while I was still working. And it was just like, boy, that's just not worth it at all. And something mm -hmm. that, then that I could control, you know, with that. What are your thoughts about lifestyle and between diet and exercise and and also social engagement for both menopause and dementia? Yeah. So lifestyle, I think is huge. And I think I be firmly believe that lifestyle is what helped me get over the hump. Yes, I had to change the way that I ate. I had to change the way that I moved my body, but I also had to change the way that I thought I had to start to build community, people who understood what I was going through, people who I could talk to openly about all of the changes that were going on. And I think that's important for um, people going through menopause. I think that's really important for people who um, have been diagnosed with dementia as well. So building that community and building that that level of support, I think that is a lifestyle change for some people, especially people like me. I'm an introvert. I could sit on in my room and watch TV and or read a book all week long and I'm good. Uh, so the, the idea that I had to make that type of lifestyle change was a little different for me. I'm like, okay, 
I need to be out with other people because my stress level is lower. When those cortisol levels are lower, that impacts my estrogen. Like all of these things work together. So lifestyle changes, I think, are really important. We need to understand that as we age at any point, really, we should not be on diets that are low carb or low fat. You need fat, you need carbohydrates, uh, you need protein, uh, protein because we are losing um, muscle mass. And uh, as we age, carbohydrates are amazing for the brain. I'm not saying a bag of chips, I'm saying a sweet potato or some healthy carb for you. And then fats like um, a fatty oily fish, like a wild caught fatty oily fish, um, or an avocado or different nuts and seeds, those are really important. So a lot of times we hurt ourselves um, by eating out a lot or by cutting out calories because we're getting older and we want to stay a certain size or, or something like that. Um, it's important that that eating a healthy balanced diet is part of the lifestyle that we need in order to make sure that we are we can navigate menopause and dementia as well. And I want our audience to know you could have both. You could have dementia and you can be going through menopause. And yes. I think sometimes people will rule things out and just go, okay, everything falls in this bucket. And that would be nice, but life isn't always that easy. And mm -hmm. um, there can be there can be other um, factors going on. So, you know, don't don't avoid that. I I agree about the the diet and the exercise and and the social engagement. I would never, ever know you're an introvert because you I mean, I know no one does <laughs> because, yeah, you you would never know that. But it you probably just melt into a little puddle after you do something like this. <laughs> <laughs> so funny i'm an introverted extrovert i think that's what i call myself like i it's it can be a thousand people in front of me i get up on that stage talk whatever and then like oh, for three hours i'm like i just i need my energy back so i can give it but the way that i get full is by just being quiet being alone <laughs> yeah I, i'm much more of an introvert too and people don't see that because of yeah, all I don't the see that things either. that i do <laughs> But I love my quiet time. I really, and the older I get, the more I like it. You know, I just like that peacefulness and, um, yeah, not having to, to pull all my energy to, to be something, you know, that I, that I am or aren't or whatever, you know, I mean, it just takes a lot of energy to engage with others, especially in the world we're living in today when things have gotten so negative and controversial, I think more people have gotten more introverted and and maybe that's something you need to look at for yourself mm -hmm. i think i think part mm -hmm. of what we need to do is create safe spaces which you've definitely done for menopause for people to be able to come together you know i'm trying to do that with dementia along with many many others i, I think that can be life-changing for people to have that safe space to be able to talk openly and not feel judged and hear real life in the trench stories of what others are going through. Cause then you think, Oh, I'm not crackers. You know, I, I <laughs> this is happening to other people because I think that when you're, when you feel like you're not being heard, you do feel like you're crazy, you know, cause yeah, that's, you that's what people are, you know, they might not say it, but they might be giving you the side eye going, Oh, or, you know, rolling their eyes as they're walking away. And we feel all that stuff when people aren't in alignment with us. So I think it's important for us to, kind of find our tribes and people that are going to support us and lift us, not necessarily fix us, but just mm -hmm. help us along, you know, that journey and to be able to have those open, honest conversations. Um, if yeah. people are just tuning in right now, we are talking with Stephanie Shaw, a health and wellness expert. And she has this wonderful podcast called Hello, Hot Flash. And you can visit her site by just going to hellohotflash.com. You can email her at stephanie uh, at stephanielinshaw.com. She is on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Facebook, and TikTok. And she's just a, a joy to talk to. We are going to hear a little bit about a webmaster called Cubeblocks that I've personally worked with, and uh, I want to tell you a little bit about them. I want to introduce you all to Cubeblocks. They have been absolutely 
excellent to deal with. They have been in business for 18 years and they serve the globe. I can't say enough good things about this company. I've had a lot of bad experiences. I don't know about you with tech companies. They have made a very complicated process very easy and their staff is so kind, so polite, so respectful to work with. And you know, when I am frustrated and ready to pull my hair out, they just smile and tell me everything's going to be okay. And they really are just on top of the communication, which alleviates so much stress as an owner when you're dealing with tech issues. You can get a 10% discount. Visit them at QBlocks at C-U-E-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com or you can email them at letstalk at qblocks.com. For that 10% discount, just put Lori, L-O-R-I, in the inquiry form. And again, I don't think you'll be disappointed. I surely haven't been. I, I can't rave enough about this company. And that's kind of rare these days. Stephanie, I I really want to talk to you about cognition and exercise and different practices that people can take to maybe improve that. Can you, can you speak more on, you know, how do we support our brain health? I think it's important that we um, don't exercise isn't always just that physical movement, but we can exercise our brains as well. Things like doing a puzzle or doing a crossword puzzle. Those are exercises that we can do for our brain. Journaling, I believe becomes Um, a practice and or an exercise for our brain as well. Writing down what you're thinking, writing down how you're feeling at a certain period of time. All of those things are going to help us with our memory, help us make, um, have clearer thoughts as we move forward. And then the more on the more physical side, things like yoga or practicing meditation, Um, All of those things also help with our brain health. We want to make sure that we're moving our bodies And it does not always have to be like that high intensity, you know, I'm going to sweat until I can't breathe anymore and, you know, run 40 miles every day. Actually, that can hurt a lot of women when they're going through menopause. It's not always helpful for them. So doing things that you enjoy, things that you like, walking, hiking, I think a really good health, uh, good mental and physical exercise is forest bathing. So uh, my oldest son loves to hike. So in the summer, we go to a a national park or a park rather, um, not far from where he lives, and we will stand outside. My thoughts become clearer. My, my, you know, heart rate is up a little bit because we're hiking up a hill. Um, It feels like my memory is better the rest of that day as well, because I'm just like soaking in nature. So I think all of those, you know, whatever you like to do. All of those things can can uh, help you improve your memory and help you at, and through this journey. And did you call that forest bathing? Yeah, it's called yes, forest bathing. But it, it's it's going out in the woods, walking around. <laughs> I like that though. I, I you know, and I think being out in the sun and just being part of nature, being part of that peacefulness, getting away from all the hubbub can really reduce a lot of stressors that we don't even know are stressing us out because it's such a normal day-to-day thing that we're Mm -hmm. in. Um, I remember this was a long time ago. I went on a retreat and we, we did like two days, you know, of no talking and it was, (laughs) oh my gosh, I thought it was going to be really hard. Uh The hard part, it took me two weeks to reacclimate once I flew home. The noises, everything was so loud. My body had gotten so peaceful and so quiet and so serene. And even just going through the airport, it was like, it was just oversensory. And Mm -hmm. literally it took me two weeks to get back to a norm, a normal living where the, because a lot the sounds got so loud, you know, because I was used to this Mm -hmm. quietness and And yet, you know, I've always wanted to go back to that particular retreat and I haven't, um, but it was amazing. So I, you know, I'm a big believer in meditation and um, I used to do yoga. I don't anymore. I keep telling myself I have to do that. And I loved (laughs) that you had mentioned journaling 
because I don't think mm -hmm. people think journaling is brain health, but I think it does a few things in my mind. One, um, you know, you can track your day, which is always good. You can yeah. be um, grateful in that, which yes. you know, can give you more yeah. positive ex um, experience. And you can express your feelings without going sideways and just mm -hmm. let them release out of your body. And I think sometimes we stuff so much of that. I, I mean, I think that's kind of why we have so much mental health issues is we don't allow people to express their emotions anymore. Everyone's supposed to be joyful and, you know, doing better than the next guy on Facebook or Instagram. And, it, you know, everything is a perfect world and we don't live in a perfect world. Mm -hmm. And dementia has really taught me that be appreciative of what you have in your life. Um, even as someone is progressing, because I kind of found that quiet space within myself, I, mm -hmm. I found new levels of unconditional love I didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. You know, so my relationship with my mom, it, even though exterior from an exterior view, people were like, oh, it's, it's disintegrated. It really enhanced uh, on oh, wow. so many levels. Um, but again, it's our perception of, you know, can we still, can we still be in relationship? You know, if it's yeah. with ourselves or if it's with somebody else, uh, I, I think those are really um, important factors because it's all about, to me, belonging and and mm -hmm. not and Brene Brown did a piece and it was amazing because I always used to say um, people need to fit in to feel socially accepted. And right. apparently she did a study and she said, you know, I always thought it was about fitting in too. And she says, but it's not fitting in means we're adjusting ourselves to fit into a group or an environment. She said, what we all really long for is to belong, to be accepted for who we are. Oh, and I thought that really was good. just beautiful. Um, yeah. But I, I, again, I think it's kind of that, that clearing of the stress. And I don't know about you, but I have that busy busy mind and that critic <laughs> up there too. that oh yeah he loves telling me all the things I do wrong <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah and to be able to let it talk and, and kick it to the curb I can't imagine can mimic some things both with dementia and with menopause when when you've mm -hmm. got that you know that unconscious thoughts going through your head it, it's gonna yeah. it's gonna change your body chemistry I would imagine I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I like what you're saying. I, I also like when you said that um, how it brought you closer with your mom. And I think that was your ability to actually not react in the moment, but to be in the moment and understand how it could help you draw closer to her. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. And it, and, <laughs> and it, you know, taught the the little things in life are really more precious than the big you know, right. Because, they, because they're so right. authentic. So when someone smiles or touches your hand or giggles, those are the true precious things that you're never, ever going to forget versus a big surprise party. And how many people were there and the gifts that you got or whatever it might be. It's just those subtle little things that really calm the heart. And I think mm -hmm. if we can take, if we can incorporate that into you know, our healthcare system and, and really have that be part of our self-care system, which we don't yeah. talk about much. Uh, I think we'll find a lot more peace. And even with dementia, they've taught me, for example, I have a program called Dementia in the Arts and they all mm -hmm. say, and I, I'm not an artist. I just record their stories and their artwork. <laughs> and people, people can see it and it's amazing <laughs> and it reduces stigma and all that. But they all say when they're in the zone doing their artwork, they, their symptoms decrease, you know, because mm -hmm. I think it's, I, I think it's changing everything again within the body. And, you know, mm -hmm. when you can find a peacefulness, when you can find a purpose, I, I love that you are advocating the way you are after your battle of two years going, <laughs> I don't want anyone else going through what I went through. There's, there's got to be something <laughs> I can do with this horrendous thing I went through and, and make the world a better place to live. Um, and, and I think there's a, I think there's a lot to having purpose in changing how our body functions too. Again, 
not a medical person, not an academic person, just a frustrated daughter seeing the patterns, <laughs> you know, <laughs> is kind yeah. of where I'm coming from. But sometimes it, it needs our voice in order to make change. So there's actually, I think it was about a month ago, there were a group of women who went to D.C. to have some conversations around menopause. And, and I know that the same thing, lobbying goes on around dementia and better health care for uh, elderly. So we people like us need to be having these conversations so that we can actually get something to change. So it's, it's, I think it's really important. I love the work that you guys are doing. Yeah. Well, I think we all overlap and all of us have more than one thing wrong with us or, you know, that's kind of bent cockeyed or whatever it is, you know, look at it however you want. So maybe something that you want changed, but, all of us are involved in how do we perceive that? How do we receive that? And what are we going to do with it? And I think there's so much fear out there when somebody is different or has different symptoms, you know, than we do. I think of even the terminology and I don't know if you see any of this in menopause. I see it in dementia all the time where people go, Oh, you know, they've got, they have this behavior. Well, behavior is a really negative word. You know, and really what it is, it's a reaction to tell us something is off and Mm -hmm. yet it's perceived as negative and they're just trying to be honest and they're trying to find help. Do you see that with women with menopause as well sometimes? So even the word menopause has this like negative connotation and um, symptoms. It's like, we're not sick. We have some hormones. (laughs) You you know what I mean? So it, it always the the tone leads people to fear going through this change in life it can lead you to having less confidence about what's going to happen in the future all because of these terms and these phrases that often put people kind of like pigeonhole people i think perimenopause is one of the minus all the things that went on to me (laughs) is one of the best things that could have happened to me because it slowed me down it got me to a goal that I've been wanting to get to for 10 years. Um, it helped me strengthen relationships. It allowed me to know my body better and to feel better about my body. So I, I always say when uh, we hear that and we have this negative connotation about that word or the term or what have you, what are you going to do with that? And how can you make that adjustment in your mind? So yeah, the term, the terms and the phrases are out there. I've actually interviewed a couple of people that are like, we are going to start a committee and find a new word for menopause symptoms or a new phrase for menopause symptoms or controlling. I always say control the midlife change. We don't need to control it. We just need to let it happen kind of thing. So they, yeah, they are out there. I've heard people say instead of menopause, they'll, they'll, I've heard men joke mental pause, you know, because yeah. the forgetfulness yeah. or the fog or whatever. And I'm like, you too can have this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah, Hormones aren't always even keel either. You know, they just deal with it different. It's looked at differently. What is it? I think it's termed andropause. It's for men. So they they have it too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I I hadn't heard that one. So that's good. (laughs) No, I just think, you know, when people are having symptoms again, I love the fact that you brought up the journaling in Don't be afraid to ask a doctor if you're going in even for cognitive testing. Cognitive tests will show where you're at, but that, again, doesn't show what's causing your symptom. And so don't be afraid to bring up menopause and, um, you know, have those levels checked and do some journaling yourself. And, you know, when you said you had 40 symptoms, I didn't even know there were 40 symptoms for menopause. I honestly, I mean, you hear the handful of them. Can you rattle Mm -hmm. off a few more that people might not be aware of like myself? Sure. So actually there's a a group in Canada and they've come up with a hundred plus. So yes. Um, And you know, there's other things that go on the body that could relate, but I'll just start. So uh, hair thinning, hair loss, hot flashes, night sweats, rapid heartbeat, tingling in your hands and feet, dry mouth, twitching in your eyes, muscle soreness or pain, cold hands and feet. There's a long list and uh, it is um, 
it's it's really weird that a lot of times we don't associate them and our doctors don't associate them as well. I got my mind like um, racing. I'm like, what else? Do, oh, you know, things like um, atro vaginal atrophy and um, low libido and anxiety, depression, lack of sleep, irregular cycle. So all of those things as well. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Wow. There's, a, you know, now I'm thinking, I, I mean, I'm 64, but I'm like going, wow, maybe, I don't know, you know, because <laughs> there's a few <laughs> I had no idea of, you know, and it, it, it's just, it's, kind of, either. it's, it's amazing. Either. And, yeah. you know, some of those things I would have thought would have been, you know, called fibromyalgia, but again, there's so many things that can be more than one thing that can yeah. happen. And even with the the eye twitching and the tingling, you know, I've heard, I've heard a lot of people have some of these symptoms with their dementia. Is it the dementia? Is it menopause? Is it something else? I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting with, with all of it. I really liked that. Um, what, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Well, W E I L L Cornell medical. I really like the study that they did because it makes sense that it's not, just like the twitching hand, twitching eyes and all that other stuff, but it's what estrogen and the lack of estrogen in our body is doing to our bodies. And in turn, it's causing things like menopause and dementia. So they, it felt like they made a really good link in the research that they've done. And again, that came out in October of last year. I even heard like pigment changes was real common. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Acne as well. So when you start getting adult acne as well, people are like, what is going on? That could be like your testosterone levels. And a lot of times women don't think about their testosterone levels. They're like, oh, that's a man thing. Nope, we have them too. And we need to make sure that they're um, balanced as well. So yeah. Yeah, my, um, my dad always he would get like pimples on his nose. That was the only place he'd get them. And I'm like, oh, every now and then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just like my dad. I'm 64. I shouldn't be getting pimples on my nose. What is going on? You know? <laughs> and, you know, it was, but it, I just thought it was a hereditary thing, you know? It was, yeah, it might be too. You know, I don't, so dry hair is another one, but I don't want, I don't want listeners to think, oh my goodness, I have dry hair. So I'm perimenopausal or um, I have twitching eyes. I'm peri. If you, if I read that list and like you're, got like 70% of it. <laughs> you probably need to have a conversation with your gynecologist and say, Hey, I'm having all of these types of different symptoms. Can you provide me with any type of hormone testing? A lot of times they will say no, because it's a, a, a point in time. Um, but I always say I'm the customer. If you tell me no, and it's something I want, I will find a way I will get another uh, physician or, or so forth. Um, someone who can support me better. So just remember that you are the customer. Well, and that's good to know because a lot of times people think they're stuck with the doctor. And so with dementia, we always tell people, if you're thinking it's something else, you know, you have a right to a second opinion. And if they don't want to refer you, you can still go someplace else. It might be a little mm -hmm. bit more battle, you know, with mm -hmm. your insurance company and stuff, but you, you can, push that through or you can even call in a patient advocate and say, Hey, you know, I don't feel that I'm being served well or, or call that director of the clinic and talk with yeah. them and, and they'll, you, cause they don't want, they don't want to flag on their, on their services. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't like those dings, you know, at all. 
Gosh, this has just been such an interesting conversation. I wanted to talk about like brain fog because that's one I think that, you know, deals with both dementia and menopause. Are there certain things that people can do to help with that, you know, specific foods or exercises or sleep patterns or anything there? So some common things, reducing stress, reducing stress comes back to pretty much everything. And a lot, if you're like me, I'm like, I don't have any stress. Everything is fine. <laughs> a lot of times you may not even be aware. So take some time, spend some time with yourself and um, start to understand really what is going on in your life. And reducing stress, I think is huge. Um, spending less time like in front of screens as well, that can sometimes cause more brain fog than we would expect. Changing the way that we think about ourselves, think changing the way that we speak over ourselves, um, getting enough sleep, changing our diet. So again, making sure that you're eating. Like a lot of the times people have brain fog. I'm like, well, what did you eat today? I had a salad. Well, that's kind of why, because your brain is hungry. So, <laughs> you know, making, you need carbohydrates, you need fats. I said that before. So the, the uh, eating a balanced diet is really important as we age avoiding smoking and drinking alcohol and all of those um, what folks could consider pleasures. They're not good for your body any longer as you, if you want to live a happy, healthy whole life. And then, then as we talked about before, those um, brain exercises where you're doing a puzzle, you're reading, you're playing, you're laughing. Laughing is so incredible for your body. There's like studies. I know laugh coaches. So people who actually teach people to laugh. So there's studies done on what laughter can do for your stress levels, for your thought, uh, for the brain fog and so forth. So making, making, don't think that I have to make all of those changes to feel better. Just start small. Maybe it is just making sure you eat a balanced meal first and then, you know, start laughing more. Find a baby, like <laughs> find a little baby. If you find a little baby, don't find a really good little baby, not on the street that you've kidnapped. No. <laughs> find, you're, you're, you know, you have a grandkid or a niece or a neighbor's kid or something. Spend some time laughing and talking with that kid. And it, it gives you this new energy. I, I feel, and it helps you think more clear. There's a there's layers of things that we need to do, but those are just some of those. I think connecting with grandkids is so important. I I have one yeah. granddaughter who just turned nine, and we still do tea parties together. You know, oh. and then I've got one that'll just be turning one, and she's just a hoot and a half, and then one that's thirteen. And I mean, they mm -hmm. all just bring me so much joy. You know, to see what they do and. And, um, you know, being connected to them. So I, I'm glad that you mentioned the laughter. And I'm glad that you mentioned the stress because I don't, I think stress is one of those things that typically it kind of creeps in. And as women, I know this was me and I know it's been a lot of my friends is we don't, we don't say no. And no is a healthy word, yeah. you know, to, to build boundaries because we keep taking on and taking on and taking on and we're taking on everybody's stuff but our own. And we're not looking at ourselves, and, you know, we're just too busy pushing through thinking, well, maybe I'll get, maybe I'll get to go have coffee with my friends, or maybe I'll be able to go for that walk or, you know, whatever it is. But those maybes usually don't happen because we haven't made them a priority. And then we can get resentful, which can cause even more stress and, and things. But, you know, we have to be balanced and we can't be and we don't have to be superwoman. You know, we don't have to prove mm -hmm. anything mm -hmm. to anyone yeah. really but ourselves of who do we want to be. And when we're stressed, you know, we're usually a little more snappy. We're a little more forced. Um, you know, we get more rigid. And I don't know. And to me, life needs to be fluid. And we have yeah. to learn to go with the flow and kind of reduce all of our expectations because we put mm -hmm. them at such a high level. Um, which can cause disappointment and stress as well. And just know that we're doing the best we can, you know, in every moment that we have. To me, it helps me find peace. And and I'm far from perfect. I still fall into the traps of doing too much for, for others or not focusing on what I need to do for myself. It's an ongoing learning, I think, for most of us. Yeah, so stress and the brain fog, but I about... No, I, someone told me no is a complete sentence. I'm like, oh, wait, it is. <laughs> yeah. so, and 
you know, it's not no, I can't, but maybe next week. Blah, 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 blah. No, no. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then keep moving forward. Now, people will begin to respect you for that because they prefer that you show up your full self versus showing up just because you need to be there. So those are some great points. Are there certain foods that, you know, people in, um, in menopause should um, should kind of kick out of their diet or think about reducing? Mm-hmm. Anything processed, like your canned goods, um, some of your frozen foods that aren't flash frozen, you want to eliminate those. Um, sugar is horrible for your memory. Um, so removing sugar from, I always say if it has O's in it. So if you look on the back of the can and it like has O-S-E, so sucrose, dextrose, anything like that, you don't want to eat that. Uh, so yeah, sugar, a lot of sodium as well. Anything anything in a prepared, pre-prepared package is, a I consider a big no-no. Like try to avoid that at all costs. And a lot of people often go out to eat as well and think, oh, I'm at a, you know, really nice restaurant. The food should be okay, may be okay, but you also are in control of that meal too. So my kids often are like, I don't know what they do to your food in the back, mom. So we're going to stop ordering with you. But I go in like, hey, I know I don't want any butter on my uh, food or I don't want any seasoning. Like you can tell them how to prepare the food for you as well. So you can still enjoy that. So just eliminating eliminate all of the extra. And I challenge everyone I know, find a garden this year. And so I found broccoli for the first time this year. I don't know why I'd never eaten. I never grew it. I never wanted to grow broccoli. I ate a piece of broccoli, like broke it off outside. It is so sweet. It was like crazy sweet. So challenging people to, you know, eat as as close to the earth as possible and to avoid anything that's processed or has been sitting on the shelf a long time and sugar will help you during your menopause and your journey with dementia as well. It's all about your brain health. So good advice and hard to do in the fast paced life that we do, you know, with all the drive ups. I mean, I think even when I was a kid, I remember when we got a McDonald's and it wasn't a drive through, but it was a fast food. And that was like, Ooh, you know, and now they're all over the place and supersized to boots and, and, I know. and I stuff, know. the little, even the Lunchables for the kids. And I'd like, <laughs> I'm shivering from people who can't see me. But that, so that's part of saying no to other things so you can say yes to yourself. So especially in the wintertime, I don't do as good of a job in the summertime. I meal prep. So on Sundays and most Wednesdays, I am in the kitchen for an extended amount of time. But that means that I already have, like right before this call, I already had quinoa cooked. So I just sliced up some onions and some carrots, threw it in the, the pan and dump my quinoa, not dump put my quinoa on top, warmed it up and ate it because I had those things prepared. So that's super important. Saying no to other things can allow you to say yes to yourself and preparing your meals ahead of time will be, I can, I dare someone to start eating at home and eating whole food and not start to see a difference in the way that they think, the way that they react to other people, um, the way that they sleep at night, you will, I can guarantee you will see a change. And I, I think that's with people, like I said, with dementia as well. I think it's for anybody, mm-hmm. you know, because we're just, mm-hmm. we're feeding it better fuel than, than what we yes. have. Well, I can't believe our time mm-hmm. is up already. Um, I this know. Is a, been a fun conversation. We've been talking with uh, Stephanie Lynn Shaw, who is a health and wellness expert. She has this wonderful podcast called Hello Hot Flash. And I, I so appreciate you talking with me about dementia and, and menopause. I think it's something that people don't really understand how similar symptoms can be and how that can really interrupt their getting a good diagnosis sometimes. So I would encourage people to be a giver of hope and like, click and share this show. Send it out to your sphere, to your family. Have these conversations. We need to get people into into a better habit of reaching out when they see something that you know has been ticking around in their head Um, we need it to be authentic and simple and one of the easiest ways is to be able to push it out and say a, a friend is passing this along it makes us all feel a little bit more comfortable 
in terms of checking it out. And maybe they won't check it out today. Maybe they'll check it out later. That's okay. But just even knowing that information like this is out there, I think is, is really, really helpful. So again, you know, it takes um, very little time, costs you no money. And then, you know, for Stephanie, you can go to her website, which is hellohotflash.com. You can email her at stephanie at stephanielinshaw.com. She is on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, Pinterest, face, two Facebook pages, one for Hello Hot Flash. Um, and one is a group for Hello Hot Flash as well. And then TikTok. And we'll have all of this information in the show notes for you. So you'll just be able to click on through. Thank you so much, everyone. And um, again, feel free to reach out to me through alzheimerspeaks.com and check out all of those free resources we have as well. Have a wonderful week. Take care. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.